Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. So this week on the podcast, I thought it would be so fun to do a best of 2021. Honestly, I have been blessed with so many amazing people that have been on the podcast this year, have been willing to sit down and chat with me and go through a bunch of different questions and share their knowledge. And we've had so many different variety in terms of guests. We've had things that focused on parenting. We've had discussions that focused on self-care, focusing on pandas pans, and a number of different topics all throughout the year. So when I got to putting this episode together, honestly, I realized there was so much that I wanted to share. So what I'm going to do is split the best of 2021 between two episodes. This part one episode, which is the 99th episode of the podcast, goes all the way up until the end of the summer. And then we will start with the back to school special, the pandas pans month that we did as well. And the followed up um, variety of conversations from the end of the year will go into part two, which will be part of our hundredth episode. So I'm really excited to bring you these best of. It's just going to keep kind of rolling through the episodes. I'll introduce the number and the title of each episode before the clip, and then you can have a great idea um, if you want to hear more about the episode and the clip wasn't enough of which episode to go back to. So enjoy this listen as we wrap up 2021. Are you looking for a way to satisfy your sweet tooth without the filler? Try Monk Pack. They make keto granola bars and keto seed and nut bars as well as protein cookies. They come in plenty of flavors like the almond butter cocoa chip keto granola bar and the caramel sea salt keto nut and seed bar. They're great tasting, they're plant-based, gluten-free, low sugar, non-GMO, and no sugar alcohols. You can just enjoy these freely. You can go ahead and visit Monk Pack. Monk is spelled M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. And in order to get a special discount, you can use my discount code REALLIFE15, all one word, to get 15% off your order. Visit monkpack.com today to try all of these amazing low-sugar products. Episode 49, Run Happy with Stephen Beerbrier. And so I guess I'm thinking a lot about New Year's resolutions and a lot of people at this time of year are, you know, probably looking at your Instagram or different fitness um, enthusiasts and saying, okay, I want to run, I want to be active, but they just don't know where to start. So what would you say to somebody who's kind of having that feeling? Um, Well, first of all, way to go. Like, like the first day of the rest of your life. Um, But even though we see, we we are as humans and we want we want the finish line right away, mm-hmm. um, we got we have to start with like like goals that are attainable. And and the problem with things like New Year's resolutions, and I I don't make them, uh, I just like live. 
Yeah, I used yeah. to make resolutions, but but the thing about resolutions is they've been proven that like you know you make it on January first, by February fourteenth, you've you've stopped doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've created this expectation, uh, you've put numbers into it. I want to run ten k. I want to lose this amount of pounds. I want like, and so what I would say is, is start small. Like step one, start small. Like don't like keep the eye on the prize, but like start small and do like you don't have to run ten k. Let's start with 1k mm-hmm. and let's see and see how that feels and and see how you are doing at that point i oh, but from that is is number two is is to be consistent mm-hmm. um we want to build a healthy habit and so going out for your 5k run feeling afterwards like crap because you just push yourself too fast too quickly and then basically shutting it all down for eight days and then going into the potato chip you know, world, um, mm-hmm. is not going to help you. So keep it small, keep it consistent. Um, and really find whatever it is. Like we're talking about running right now, but it goes to anything. It's like that feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause, cause I could tell you that doing a spin bike is the best for you, but if you hate it the first time, why yeah. would you do it again? You know, and so, and this is, I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but there's a great book out there called Feel Like It. You can, I've said it a few times, but Feel Like It by uh, Dr. Kelly Dell, who's local. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can find it on all the sites. But it, it's it's really about the feeling. It, and he's done the research. And it's like, you know, you like in the old days, remember when there were gyms and, and studios <laughs> and you can go in there? But, yes. but you, 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 you drop the coin because you were like, New Year's resolution and, and you're going to do this. And, but it wasn't you, it wasn't your true authentic self. Right. So, so step one is almost like taking a step back and like on a piece of paper, figuring out what are the things that you like to do. And if you don't know, that's okay because there are so many things out there, but to try those new things, whether mm-hmm. it's running, cycling, um, walking just straight out, um, cross country skiing, snowshoeing, like I'm trying to think of things in the winter, skating, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and find the one that when, like when you're doing it, there seems to be like an uptick in the happiness quotient. Episode 50, Panda's Pants Fundamentals with Dr. Scott and Ellen Antoine. You know, when this first happened, uh, when we saw Emma and we did some lab work on her, we found out that she had actually Lyme disease, which she likely contracted in Michigan at her right. summer camp. Uh, which is one of the causes of pans. She also had really high uh, strep titers, streptococcal titers, me- meaning that may have been a past exposure or uh, a current exposure as well. It's difficult to tell sometimes. Uh, I'd say diagnosis is the first beginning of treatment, really. So I always tell parents, um, you know, you have to be a bit careful. Sometimes when you're on the internet, people will insist that you have to do this test or that test. Really, it's a clinical diagnosis. It's based on signs, symptoms, what the child in front of you looks like, and also excluding other things. So being sure to exclude a central nervous system problem like a mass. Some of these children may need an MRI or other testing. A very acutely ill child likely would need hospitalization and and checked for meningitis and infections of the brain and fluid around the brain. But once you've established your diagnosis, then Um, looking to treatment. And so we looked back on that a few years after she got better and said, you know, what did we do? What did we find? And and so we formulated a process. And so the process we use for adult 
patients and for children with PANS. And we call it the fully functional process. And what we do basically is the first step is, as I said, identifying what's going on. Uh, the next step, there's five steps. So the second step is reduce. So we try and reduce those things that are negatively impacting their health. So we look at diet. So a lot of foods are inflammatory, certainly mm-hmm. processed sugars, preservatives, things like that, but also things like gluten and in some people dairy. And we also test these children for food allergies and sensitivities because they can produce neurologic signs and symptoms. In fact, if you find IgG reactions to foods in children and eliminate them, the studies have shown in the neurology journals, you can eliminate childhood migraines. So we do some of those things, try and identify what's going on, reduce the things that are negatively impacting their health. That also has to do with reducing stress. So um, we like to make sure if we can, these children are in some form of therapy. And really, it has to be family therapy. Mm-hmm. This, as you know, affects everyone. And so once we've done that, we've listened to those things and, and see what we can find. Uh, then we try and optimize detoxification. That's our third step, optimize. So you're looking at uh, things to optimize detoxification. There are some supplements and things that can increase child's ability to detoxify through their liver. I will tell you that the vast majority of children that we see with PANS and even adults with other types of neuropsychiatric complaints have issues with detoxification. So what happens is they get into an environment, commonly can be a moldy house or eating lots of processed foods or living near a field where people are spraying uh, chemicals and that disrupts the immune system then an infection, which in most kids would be pretty benign, like maybe a strep throat suddenly produces all of these symptoms. And so um, once we've optimized detoxification, uh, then we support. And so we try and support the family. Uh, We support the child and we look at supporting um, their immune system. There's some specific things you can do for that, uh, both some supplements. And then there are some other medications we use like low dose naltrexone. It's a medication that really has a a great effect on stabilizing the immune system and helping a lot with behavior. Um, Other specific key treatments obviously are if you're finding a specific infection to treat and you feel like it's what's driving the behavior, um, then you treat it. And so there are times when we use antibiotics. There are other times where we use herbal medications to treat infections it just depends on the setting and what we've uh, what we found, and then you can do some other treatments as well. Another, um, you know, other things you can try. It, this is an inflammatory disorder, uh, so you can try simple things. We try and stay natural, so we will usually start out with curcumin. It's a great natural anti-inflammatory. It also has some antibacterial properties, so it's it's a good choice. Um, if not, we can also try either ibuprofen or, um, naproxen sodium. I'm not sure what that would be called where you are, but, um, I think that's the generic name. And then moving up from there, if you have a, um, you know, if you have to use antibiotics, we will use antibiotics. And then if you have a severely affected child, um, you can look at immunomodulatory therapies. And so there are basically several things, steroids, technically, prednisone, things like that fall in this category. Those are things that um, re-regulate the immune system, decrease inflammation, and help with symptoms. You have to be a bit careful. Some children do not respond well, uh, and it will make their agitation a lot worse. So you have to be extremely careful when you're, when you're trying that. It's not the answer for everyone. 
And then ultimately, some children may go on. And because of our organized regimen approach, it's not very many of our kids that will go on to require IV, IG, or intravenous immunoglobulin infusion. Um, so it's probably less than 20%, actually. And there are some other immunomodulatory treatments you can do. Plasmapheresis is one, which kind of think of that as filtering the blood. And then there are some other medications. Rituximab is a medicine you can use which is immunosuppressive medicine. Not my favorite. None of those things are my favorite. You use them when you need to. Um, but certainly if you can interrupt things before that, re-regulate the immune system, treat the infection, a lot of these children will recover. Episode 51, Reducing Stress to Lose Fat with Lydio DeFrancesco. So getting enough sleep. Um, honestly, like I've now prioritized that over nutrition and fitness when I'm working oh, with wow. clients. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 something that I've really learned over the last year that has the most significant impact. Because if you think about it, like if you don't have a good enough sleep, um, like I said, it definitely messes up your hunger. So mm-hmm. it'll affect your hunger hormones. So we have the hunger hormones for uh, to tell your body that you're hungry and you have hormones that tell your body that you're full. And when you don't sleep well, those get messed up. So the hormone that tells you that you're hungry is ramped up. And so you constantly are feeling hungry and you eat and eat and you don't feel full because the full feeling hormone is decreased. And so (laughs) it's like totally messed up. Um, And I'm sure that you've had this and I'm sure the listeners have experienced this when you're just, you feel so hungry the entire day. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you can't eat enough. And that's not just you. It's actually a hormonal thing. And it's that the hormones are messed up. And it's because of a lack of sleep. Um, I remember like I said, after, sorry, I, after I had my no, no, son, yeah. I mm. felt that way. Like, because you're so mm-hmm. sleep deprived with a baby. And I would just like literally totally. reach for like a handful of chocolate chips or something like that. Yeah. Because you're just like, you just yeah, want absolutely. the sugar. So when you mentioned the sugar craving, mm-hmm. that totally makes sense. Episode 52, A Parental Perspective on Panda's Pans with Richard and Marnie Deshane. Then where are you guys now in your journey for both children? Yeah, well, since uh, accessing the care, uh, we went to the States in October 2016. We were able to connect with a pediatrician here in Calgary. So uh, in August 2017, that happened. So that took over our uh, older son's care, plus diagnosed our younger son, which we, we mentioned earlier. So both of our boys uh, have seen the most notable noticeable results from IVIG. Uh, that means, uh, for those that don't know, intravenous immunoglobulin treatment and blood, blood work. So our older boy has had four rounds and the younger one has had two. So seeing our boys respond well to the IVIG treatment blew us away. And uh, it really made us firm believers that pandas is and pans is real and the inflammation uh, needs to be, and it can be medically treated. So there, you know, it was questioned and doubt, but that put that by the wayside. Yeah. And I'm just going to explain um, the way I've um, described post IVIG recovery uh, in the past to others is um, it for our, our boy anyways. And it felt so like distinct. <laughs> so you know, he gets the IVIG and uh, there was first this uptick in symptoms, um, kind of this herxing. And I called it a panda's exorcism because, you know, 
our wall, you know, <laughs> drywall, we had a hole in it and punched in there from him kicking it. And, and then, uh, and I had to actually restrain him one time. And, you know, those are not good memories. And then there was a slow, steady cooling. You know, this was more like by month three and four, because that was the first sort of four, six to eight weeks of the process. And then a steady cooling of his immune system where I noticed this drop in symptoms. And he was so much, getting so much calmer, still not fully there. And then it was like, you know, by about seven months, six, seven months, but prominently at seven months, I call it this, that he came out of a pandas coma and he really started to live again. And it, it just, it, honestly, it just gives me goosebumps just thinking about it right now. And just, you know, him going into the pantry and going, mom, where is this? And he's giggling because he never went into our pantry ever. And it was mm-hmm. just so refreshing that I didn't have to hand over hand everything for him. Right. So their last IVIG, um, it was January 2019. And so both of the boys, we do everything in tandem. They made it through uh, this past winter without a relapse. And uh, and then they spent most of their time at home due to COVID restrictions. And uh, so we decided to stop their prophylactic antibiotics in April of last year. So it's, it's, it's uh, been a marathon journey, but also I call it a miracle journey to see um, the transformation in our sons after what seemed like an impossible journey mm-hmm. to overcome. And um, our older son experienced many social and academic challenges um, around school because of symptoms um, such as severe anxiety, mutism, and dysgraphia. Those are tough ones to just regain back. Um, but to see him come to life after years on and off of struggling, it, it's truly a miracle of, of his recovery. I do believe. And our younger son's onset also happened at age seven, as I referenced earlier, but his presenting symptoms were not as sudden at his onset. And maybe it's because I was so impacted by our older boy and and just taking care of him. But um, his became more severe with actually with each um, relapse, um, continued relapse. So, but his two IVIG treatments um, have also, you know, provided the greatest impact on his recovery and um, for many years, I continued to doubt myself each time a doctor would close the door, right? Like, mm-hmm. but today I know our story represents hope to others. Um, you know, we did mm-hmm. make it through the other side. I'm not saying everything is perfect, no. not at all, because our younger son, I'm noticing just a little bit of these, like, mom, my brain felt stuck today. I, I had a hard time doing math, you know? So I'm just, you know, I'm making notes, but it's nothing like it was. No. Episode 57, Grief, Loss, and Self-Care with Amanda Ferret. I now have the label of disabled, and I've had to learn how to accept and honor that. And I've had to kind of teach my mom, you know, and my family, like, what that means and my friends. And mm-hmm. it's a tricky kind of loss because it isn't that kind of, you know, when people die, that's something we've all, you know, had some sort of experience in whether it's from the movies or real life or whatever mm-hmm. but these changes in relationships and function and having to rewrite these stories of what might have been and changes in roles where sometimes we don't have support right mm-hmm. so maybe we don't have any representation of what it looks like to now be a parent in those roles or a person living with that identity or that disability or that diagnosis so for those folks i you know education right? The more you know, the more power you have. Representation matters. So find community, 
mm-hmm. find parent support groups, family support groups, whatever you can find. Um, and if you can't find them, try to create them, right? Like community mm-hmm. matters and getting that community support. Um, and then as far as like my approach with folks, it's going to be like an onion peeling back those layers and knowing that we might bounce back and forth and have to do a little more work and spend a little more time and care. And I'm going to have to approach it with a little more compassion um, because it is really complicated when you throw in three or four types of loss and then add the grief on top of that and add whatever's going on in their environment and whatever the behaviors that change. Right. And it becomes messy Mm -hmm. and the more messy and complicated it can be, the more I have to kind of take my time to peel back and kind of take one piece at a time because we're storytellers too, by nature as humans, we tell stories. We've told stories from the dawn of time and when families have to, rewrite their stories and they have to rewrite it for themselves for that other family member for the family as a entire unit for how that family then functions in their neighborhood their community their greater family Mm -hmm. that's a lot to unpack it's a lot to learn how to cope with and manage and so you you know it takes a longer kind of approach of just helping them figure out what those new roles are, how things are going to function, what those relationships look like, what new relationships do they need to bring in support? um, What systems do they need for support? What is and isn't working? And then start to rewrite those stories in a way that honors everybody's feelings and needs and new roles and relationships so that everybody can feel seen and valued and heard. I think that's the biggest piece. Episode 59, Treating Pandas, Pans, and Lyme with Dr. Roseanne Capana-Hodge. And so why don't you get into a little bit more? You talked about brain mapping and um, neurofeedback, like some of the key treatments that you're using and that you've really seen success with. Both you can talk about Lyme, pandas, any of the the areas. Yeah, I mean, I think, Sarah, you know, what I learn and we we have a couple things coming up that really go into this one is we have the summit, the Get Unstuck Parenting Summit. Um, and I have a book called It's Gonna Be Okay. And it and both of these things really, what do they encompass and why did I do them? So one, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter if your kid has anxiety. It doesn't matter if they have depression or bipolar or pans pandas or OCD. You have to concentrate on lifestyle changes. And as hard as that seems, like Mm -hmm. sometimes people would rather come to me and spend tens of thousands of dollars doing other treatments, right? And I'm like, but we got to give up, you know, uh, this, right? Mm -hmm. Which is typically sugar, gluten, and dairy. Right. And and people are like, oh my God, how am I going to do it? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I always share the same story that I had a mom with three kids with pants, Okay. And they also had autism. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Right? And one of them was really aggressive. And she did it. Yeah. And she had her hands full. Yeah. (laughs) She had her hands full. Okay, people. So I literally hold my bar to her. And and she was like, Roseanne? She was, you know, some... 
some of the moms that I really adore. Oh my God, they're hysterical. I mean, she was like, it sucked. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At the beginning is always the worst. Yeah, for rough. sure. And, and, you know, she tried to step in. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's the right, it's the way that's right for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she tried to step in. Okay. Like, so one of her kids did the, I could replace things, but mm. her pans, very impaired autistic child was like, it, it ain't happening. Mm-hmm. So she had to do the 10 days of like, you know, you can break a behavior. 10 days is the height. Most behaviors can be broken in 10 days. This is from, you know, operant conditioning and classical conditioning. You can change and replace a behavior in 10 days. Okay. And um, it requires a lot of patience and consistency. And she she did the 10 days, you know, and she was like, oh, it's brutal. And then, mm-hmm. you know, now he's the kid that eats like my kid, like the calamari mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Gluten-free bagel or whatever yeah. it is, yep. she's she's got it. You know, he's taking fish oil. He's you know whatever, and and she noticed a difference. So we have to use the key to all of these things, right? There is no magic pill. There is no magic fairy. You know, I don't have a wand, right? Mm-hmm. I actually have a, a a plastic wand at my desk because sometimes people <laughs> you need you it. know <laughs> I need it. <laughs> And sometimes I got to have the, the speak to Jesus conversation with you or whoever else, Buddha, whatever <laughs> it is, just using an analogy. Um, and and sometimes people call me and they're like, I did two sessions of neuro and I'm a little upset. I don't notice a difference. And I was like, did you read a damn thing that I gave you or anything that I told you? It's, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. I'm, you know, if your friend had a miracle in two sessions, which it happens, that just is what it is. I don't know what it, you know. But what we need to do is we need to get every ounce that we can to shift it and create that change and move that dial. Do you love the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, if you love the podcast and you want more and more to keep coming, I would love your support through Kofi.com. Kofi.com is a way that you can put a little money towards your favorite podcast. It can be as little as a few dollars, one time, bunch of times, whatever you feel that you can give. And it helps to cover all the costs that go associated with podcasting. So if you would like to support this podcast, please consider donating through Kofi.com. You can find the link in my Instagram feed under Linktree. It's at Sarah Lady Gluten, or you can visit Kofi, K-O-F-I.com slash learning to slay the beasts. I appreciate your support, whether you can give or not. Thanks so much for listening. Episode 61, Radical Self-Acceptance and Being Gluten-Free with Carrie Veach. Yes, I um, I really believe it is. And it's, um, I don't know if it was an old coach of mine or I'm sure, I'm sure it was along with other places, but it's basically your most practiced thoughts are your thoughts. And I just find that to be completely true, right? Like as I practice anything, it becomes more natural, right? Like, you know, like when I'm working with a client and it's they're kind of frustrated or feeling like it's taking a really long time or whatever, I often say, okay, let's think about something that you learned as an adult, because I think when you learn something as a kid, it's a little bit different. Um, but let's think about something you learned as an adult. And maybe it's you took up skiing or you, you started yoga 
Like when you first started, you felt really awkward. You didn't know what to do and you didn't like show up on day one and were a master of this, this practice or the sport. Like you, you have to keep showing up day after day. And so I think what can happen with thought work or with changing, just even changing our life. Right. But, but this whole concept of changing your life from the inside out is that we can start something stick with it for maybe a week. And then we're like, Oh, it doesn't work. It's not, it's not working. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, well, you know, if we had all given up on skiing, let's say after, you know, one, two lessons, we, we probably wouldn't be a good skier. Episode 62, raising strong, confident daughters with Anasha Khan. I'd love it if you could touch on some of the really effective ways that you talked about in the blog in terms of raising a strong, confident daughter. Yeah, so here's the thing. Boys are taught to be somebody, while girls are taught to find somebody. As moms and our daughters' first teachers, we should teach our girls to be somebody first Mm -hmm. and that someone should be lucky to find her. Right. We want to teach our daughters to let their voices be heard, to speak up. She doesn't need to be rude or the loudest person in the room, but simply someone who speaks her truth and stands for what she believes in. And it's okay if no one else agrees with her, because the truth is, Sarah, we are not made for everyone, and that's okay. She just needs to believe in the power her voice carries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and for the latter part of the question, um, I believe was when do I encourage her versus letting her find her own way? And I think the notion of letting her find her own way can create so much anxiety for us moms. The Mm -hmm. focus should be on communication and trust. And that's exactly what I use with Sophia. Um, Have complete trust in yourself and in your little girl. Trust that the values you've instilled in her will help her make the right decisions. Have regular conversations with your child where you allow her to do most of the talking. If you don't quite understand the situation, you can repeat what she just said so she can clarify that for you. You can also recognize the difference between your child's need and your needs because sometimes we think what we need is what our kids need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, set boundaries for yourself so that you can give her room to grow. And that's probably going to be the hardest part for us where we actually have to set boundaries so we can, you know, let our kids grow and explore life on their own. Episode 63, Finding Food Freedom with Melissa Rolfs. Absolutely. I'm a big proponent of teaching women how to listen to their bodies and honor their hunger and fullness. I think a lot of times we're conditioned or taught that, well, we have to eat lunch at noon. Well, if you're hungry before noon, it's perfectly okay to honor that hunger and eat lunch when your body tells you it's hungry instead of when we've been conditioned to believe that we need to eat because it's a certain time. Right. Yeah. And I find that especially days when I work out in the morning that then Mm -hmm. I am hungrier earlier and it's just like, I'm not going to be able to wait. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, And and fasting, like, I mean, there's been such a promotion of fasting, different types of fasting. um, But that, you know, really challenges your hunger cues as well, because you're sort of, you're trying to almost trick your body, you know, have coffee or something that like, 
allows you to wait on food. And so that's kind of counter um, to Intuitive. something like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. And again, it, it's not, I know some people do it well for various reasons, but there's a lot of people that shouldn't be fasting that do. For example, if you um, have some blood sugar challenges, it's not great for that. There's a lot of things, you know, if you have disordered eating, I feel like it can really kind of set you up to be back in that position. So mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of it and I'm probably going to be booed for that, but it's more about really honoring and respecting your body and what it needs. No, I, I agree. I mean, I've been, I have tried it. I've done a whole bunch of different ones I was doing where, you know, like two days a week sort of spread out. It was fast throughout the day and then only um, kind of having a smoothie midday. And I mean, in terms of weight control, it helped, but you're right. I found for me, and I think it's my history with, um, you know, having kind of an eating disorder or disordered eating, however you want to say it, that I started to get into almost like that binge cycle again, where then it would be like, I'd come off the fast and be like, well, it doesn't matter because I fasted all day yesterday. So, you know, I can eat this or that as compared to kind of, I think for me, those small meals throughout the day tends to be, um, and maybe that's blood sugar wise as well, but just tends to be a, a more sustainable type of eating for myself. And I feel satisfied and I feel like, um, it's not this deprivation thing, I guess. Absolutely. Cause I don't know, know about you, Sarah, but when I deprive, that's when I would binge because yeah. I'm yeah. hungry, I'm famished. And then it's, you know, all out, I'll eat anything in sight because my body was depleted and it needed what it wasn't getting. <laughs> yeah, no. It, yeah. That's what I found. And, and I think there are benefits. I mean, a lot of people talk mm-hmm. about mental clarity, like I can see that, you know, and, and also even lifestyle wise, like you're not having to prepare whatever that meal would have been, you know, a little bit more time, but I just found in the long term, uh, it just, it wasn't something that I could keep doing and, and I felt cranky and I, you know, <laughs> all of those things. So, um, it is a challenge then moving from that though, because the moment yeah. you start to pick up those meals again, it's like there is a weight gain. And so you've got to really um, watch that, I think for sure. But um, yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan. And and again, I know, I know it works for some people. I know it does. Absolutely. But we're all different. And I love your, you know, perspective, Sarah, that you know, this isn't great for the long term. And I think that's maybe sometimes where we we get caught up is that we don't think in terms of long term and health and sustainability and lifestyle. And we think about that immediate result. And so we'll do something to get that immediate result. But then we realize we just can't keep up with it. Episode 65, homeopathic treatment of pandas and pans with Dr. Jennifer Barr. Fantastic question. So what we practice here at Resilience Naturopathic is classical homeopathy. Um, there's a lot of different schools of thought with homeopathy where people are, you know, generally, of course, always trying to make it easier, better, faster, you know, um, we really focus on the tried and true method that was um, established over 200 years ago, and that has stood the test of time and still is quite effective today. Um, and so we do a single remedy at a time. One okay. thing that's really fantastic about homeopathy that makes it so well suited for kids with pans and pandas um, is that it is a, t- a whole person medicine. So what we're looking at is not just the symptoms of pans. Like you can't come into a homeopath and say, um, I would really like the OCD that my kiddo is experiencing to go away. Can we just focus on the OCD? That won't work because oftentimes 
even the thing that you're most concerned about isn't necessarily the thing that's going to give us the indication for the remedy that we need to stimulate mm -hmm. healing. So we have to look at the totality because the reality is the OCD might not be that unique. It might be pretty common, like to any of the kids who have OCD is one of their primary concerns with pans or pandas. So the OCD itself might not be unique, even if it's the most problematic. What might be okay. unique is the bowel function or the um, a type of anxiety that they have that's not related to the OCD, but is very specific and unique. Or it could be a rash that they have could be um, what's the most indicative that being said, even if we're looking at some of the physical concerns or things that you consider to be like tangential, like if this stayed around forever, I could deal with it. Please, please, please just focus on get rid of the OCD or get rid of the rage. Mm -hmm. um, even when we're focusing on these things that seem like they're to the side, they could actually still show improvements in the um, the main thing that you're that you're concerned about. Um, so we always have to look at the totality, the global symptoms, and we're always looking for improvements as a whole person. Um, and the reason we really have to focus on this is this is a truly healing uh, approach. And so when you think about it, like our body, our brain, everything is connected. Um, so when we heal, we heal as a whole person. So we really that's one of the ways that it's it's really different, and why we have to take a look at the totality of everything that's going on. Okay. And one of the ways that it's totally different than conventional medicine, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, you're definitely not going to leave um, when you're seeing a classically trained homeopath who's actually practicing classical Hanumanian homeopathy, you're going to leave with one remedy and not a whole list of things to do. So it's, you know, oh, okay. parents too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, and I think one of the things that's been surprising to me is sometimes there are things going on that you don't even know is a panda's thing. Like I've had that experience where, you know, I get questions about, well, what about, you know, does he ever have this kind of rash or have you ever seen this type of behavior? Or whatever? And, and you don't even realize that it's something. I think that's, that's um, really eye-opening, but it makes sense yeah. that then once you weed through all of those things, you kind of get a better um, healing in the end. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Episode 67, The Importance of the Mother-Daughter Connection with Amelia Mora-Mars. And so, yeah, it seems like that bond is and very influential throughout your life and it does stick. Um, and I guess I'm just thinking about, so then how do you repair that? Um, is there an ability to repair or is are this, there are certain tools, I guess, that you use to help women heal that? Yeah, I and I when I designed my program, I really thought a lot about it, taking the research because my specialization was attachment um, when I went to school because I had that fascination. And um, but then also, what were the steps and the processes that I went through to get myself um, in a better place? So I designed my program to really number one start with the person's attachment style. Because I think as women, we can be very critical of ourselves, very um, judgmental, very perfectionistic. And sometimes when you have understanding, when you understand that there's these four different attachment styles and why you might have the one you have and what led up to that, there's a sense of understanding. Like, of course, I'm like this. Why wouldn't I be like this if I had um, this type of mothering? And so I always start there with the moms. Okay, what is your attachment style? And then she wants to um, do the attachment style with her daughters to or her children just to have understanding with them. And then that self-love piece, because again, 
I was so trained to, I had this profound amount of love for my siblings and for my mom. And, you know, Latinos are a collectivist society. It's very much about the we. So I, I did we really well, but I struggled with the me. Mm-hmm. And so helping women to start to differentiate, because that's a process that we should have gone through growing up where I could be myself. Like I can have a bunch of siblings, but I'm still, I'm still me. It's not like we're all clumped together. And so helping women to, um, to have that self-love, because I feel like that self-love is the salve that, that really heals the soul and to turn the love and attention inward that has been, you know, most of our lives outward, you know, giving, people pleasing, rescuing, serving, that fear of abandonment, you know, that keeps us really stuck, full of anxiety. Episode 68, Overcoming Crohn's Disease and Chronic Health Conditions with Dr. Selvi Vasudevan. So why don't we dig in a little bit further to the relationship in terms of some of the dietary changes you made or lifestyle, you mentioned mindset, and then the relationship with Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the piece that I love, you know, just about holistic health is how everything sort of interplays into everything. And that was for me, looking at the body as a whole and, and understanding it as a whole was really a game changer. And so in terms of food, you know, I feel like people get so frustrated in the IBD community with Crohn's with ulcerative colitis because there's so much information. Like there's an overwhelm of information. People are like, I just don't know what to do. You know, one person will say go vegan. Another person will say go paleo. Another person will talk about the SCD diet and the AIP and everything in between. Right. And my joke is and then the ABCD. Um, (laughs) And it's figuring out what works for your own body. And that takes that takes persistence. It takes practice. And so now I have a way of helping people to figure out what works for their own body, because what worked for me might not be the exact same thing that works for someone. And even my own body has evolved over time. So I remember starting off gluten-free and then I eventually went paleo. And now like my style of eating is much more intuitive. So it's evolved over time. Um, So, which is why when people come to me and say, I've tried everything, it's, things might have changed now as opposed to what they were six months ago, three months ago, five years ago, you know, that sort of thing. And so it just, it really just depends. And, you know, sometimes people get frustrated when, when I say that, but it's really true because it just really depends on your body, on your particular situation, what's going to work in terms of food. And so I help people to figure out that piece, right? What really works for you and what doesn't work for you, which is um, very unique. So, um, so there's that piece. And then you're asking about lifestyle and that is another big piece. So everything from sleep to stress, to mindset, um, to physical activity, to your relationships, all of those pieces play a piece into how your Crohn's does, because let's face it, you know, autoimmune disease, chronic illness, IBD, it affects every single aspect of your life. There's no separation, right? So all of those pieces of your life need to be addressed um, in a way that supports your health, that supports your healing, um, as opposed to, you know, contributing more to your illness or, or not giving you peace of mind, which is really going to help you to heal on a deeper, deeper level. Episode 69, The Role of Yoga in Mental Health with Laura Bauman. Yeah, and so you've mentioned a morning practice. Um, So is that the best time? Do you find, like, is there a specific time of day or does that vary? Um, And then, you know, location-wise, is there a 
a better location compared to another or, um, you know, just logistically and how do you make sure you fit it in, I guess? Yeah. At the moment I work, uh, with moms. So, (laughs) so it's, you know, my biggest thing is to be kind to yourself, do what you can, where you can, when you can. For me personally, I function the best early in the morning. I wake up really early and I like to do my morning practice when everybody's asleep. I feel I have a lot more energy, a lot more focus. And um, once my day starts, it it just gets away. Like if I skip Mm -hmm. it, I know it's just not going to happen. But there are people who are, you know, who just do better with an evening stretch or nice evening meditation. And if that's for you, then great. and that's the thing with yoga. It's, it's a tool to become aware of yourself, know where um, what works for you. And I used to be much more <laughs> my boot camp uh, mentality, I guess, like do your morning practice. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're a new mom, that's just not realistic. And that's OK. You don't have to beat yourself up about it. It's a temporary, you know, it's temporary that your baby is little and, you know, your sleep is out of whack. And it's just not feasible and that's that's fine then find if you can find another like find one minute to do a gentle stretch for your shoulders or something and it doesn't have to be a full-blown practice as well episode 70 living to our full potential with mindset coach marina b so how does one, you know, in those cases, I guess we've both been able to kind of self-identify an issue there, but how does one know if they're maybe off track in terms of their purpose? You know, are there signs that you should look for that you're not really living to your full potential or is it just something that you just know? It depends on the person. Um, you know, some people just know. Some people, it just takes really asking them very purposely. Um, and it really just takes taking some time to become aware of how you feel. I mean, how we feel about ourselves, about our lives on a daily basis is going to be a huge uh, clue. If we're feeling good and we're feeling productive and we feel like I do think that that's a little bit of an instinctual feeling. Like, are you feeling like you're living the life that you want to live or are you feeling kind of stuck? Sometimes it's about looking at your behaviors and your actions. And are those aligning with your values and the things that you really care about? Or are you maybe stuck in certain behaviors that don't serve you, but they're you think they're serving you because they're kind of keeping you safe where you are, which is a little bit of what I was talking about before. Um, but you know, a lot of self-sabotaging behaviors can, you know, you it could be and and it looks like a lot of things, you know, a lot of different types of addictive behaviors, whether they're around food or drinking or Netflix watching or shopping or um, you know, all sorts of behaviors that are precluding you from doing anything else. But what's happening then is that if you look at your life and you think I'm not really doing things that I actually care about. So there's like a, it's not aligned, right? Like you want to look at your life and are the things that I'm spending my time doing and the people that I'm with aligning with my values and what I really care about. And so a lot of what we do in the beginning of a coaching relationship is go through these assessments where you you talk about and identify and reveal for yourself what are the things that are most important to you in your life? What do you care about most? 
We go through a lot of prioritizing and ranking. And then we look at, are you giving the areas that you characterize as the most important in your life the most effort or not? You know, where is the alignment? Episode 71, Body Typology 101 with naturopath Sue Ann Hickey. Maybe you can dig more in. How is the body typology system maybe different than kind of a lot of the wellness guides or other diets that we see? And a lot of those focus on restriction that many of us have been through. So I'm just wondering how the system is so different and kind of give us a glimpse into how you felt great. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I think the challenge with so many restrictive diets is people that want to lose weight, they try and find something that's a little too harsh, too restrictive, you know, they want to lose weight quickly, they want the, the, the press the fast forward button. <laughs> and um, it's not sustainable is the main thing. They're depriving themselves, they're, you know, not really happy. The keto is one thing people do, mm. which I find can be you know, you can have clean keto, which can be okay, but then you have the really heavy fat, high fat, you know, low carb keto, which can be detrimental to our health. And like, there's hardly any fiber in the diet. So people get really constipated. Mm-hmm. So there's too many, yeah, restrictive, hardcore diets that people are doing um, with body type and eating right for your body type. The way it works is, um, as I said, it works with your glands. So we distinguish four different types either adrenal pituitary thyroid or for the woman only there's gonad which has to do with the ovaries now some people might think oh i have hypothyroid so therefore i must be thyroid type no we don't it doesn't work that way it doesn't mean that anything is wrong with the glands it's just that we each have a dominant gland that's working harder than the others and the other glands are trying to catch up So when we start eating the right foods at the right time for our body type, that dominant gland calms down and the other glands get stronger. And that's what creates the balance. Like the whole body physically feels better. And, um, you know, I teach a lot more than that in nutrition, you know, how to replace ordinary foods with more nutritionally dense alternatives so people feel um, satisfied longer. They're not reaching as much for unhealthy snacks in between meals. So it's really a healthy way of eating that people can sustain long-term, which in my opinion is the most important thing, right? We don't want like Mm -hmm. this restrictive diet we're going to do for a certain amount of time because we want to wear the dress to the wedding or whatever, you know, and the main goal I want my clients to have is to help improve their health, increase their health and focus on being healthy and happy and eating a healthy way with some deviations, as I call them. I don't like the word cheats Mm -hmm. and, you know, enjoying those deviations, not feeling guilty. um, And then you're on track most of the time. And that's the way to make it healthy long term. Episode 72, Finding Alignment with Career Coach Penelope Lazel. So then, do you believe that everyone really has a specific career purpose? Completely, completely. And I loved that question. I absolutely love that question. I really do. And I think the clues are there. I think the clues are there when we're children and we're starting to find 
things that we enjoy, things we don't enjoy, and we start to grow. And you, you will find that when you go into whatever career it is, there'll be elements from your childhood that will come through. So for me, having been in recruitment for so long, I knew it was for me. So if I take it back the 20 years ago when I fell into recruitment and I literally fell into it, I was doing I was doing customer service at that point and I had been made redundant. I took a temping job and I ended up in a recruitment job. Um, for me, I'm a people person. I loved finding people jobs. I loved finding and I've always been a purple, which is why I'd gone into the customer service side. So I knew that I'd found my place in the world just because it made my heart sing. And I think everybody's got that within them somewhere. It's just a matter of finding it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it sounds like it's also, it's finding the purpose, but then kind of working in the right way for your own mental health. Completely. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I don't like to take it back to the recruitment side of things. I love what I do. Absolutely love it, but it can be unforgiving. Mm -hmm. So early on in my career where I was trying to make an impression, I wanted to really, you know, stand out. I'm new to recruitment. I was quite late in my twenties when I found it. I, I, that was my first burnout. I was working 24 hours a day, you know, because wow. I was on call 24 seven, I would do really long hours. I'd leave the house at about three o'clock in the morning and I'd be home at about 10 o'clock. I'd then be on call overnight. And sometimes I'd be woken up at midnight. You know, there was just no stopping. And because I put myself in that roller coaster as much as I loved it, the, the ill health came from it. And unfortunately, a couple of years later, I was, I was a bit of a mess. Um, so it's about finding the job that you love, but then being able to work within it to a way that's harmonious to you. And if you can find that, happy days. It's lovely. <laughs> mm -hmm. Episode 73, Holistic Mental Health Practices for Teens with Devorah Goldenblatt. So I know you mentioned a few kind of teen issues there, but can you share some of the top mental health concerns that you're seeing in teens specifically right now? And then I guess even if there are some specific disorders that you're seeing a lot of, it'd be great to know. Yeah, well, definitely. Unfortunately, you know, really depression and anxiety are rising in our young adults year after year after year. So we're seeing, you know, a 50 to 60% increase over the last 10 years of kids being diagnosed, you know, kids by kids, I mean, teens, um, especially the 14 to 17 age group being diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And suicide, unfortunately, is rising too. So, you know, there's so many, um, right? I mean, that's typically who I see is, you know, um, clients who have a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, that's rising. We're seeing a lot more self harm, unfortunately. Um, and so, and a lot of disordered eating as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's really hard for kids. It's hard for a lot of different reasons. Um, and, you know, we're all kind of trying to figure it out. There's a lot of hand wringing and there's a lot of finger pointing. And I think it's so important to, for everybody to be noticing this and, you know, covering it in the media. And I also feel like at the same time that we're pointing fingers and digging and, and wringing our hands, we should also be teaching these kids these like often evidence-based, not always. I have some really weird woo-woo stuff that I do too, but a lot of it, mm -hmm. like EFT tapping or mindfulness is completely based in research, is proven to help with these conditions. And it's fascinating to me that we're not... Bring it fascinating is not the word, more like unconscionable mm 
mm-hmm. that we're not bringing it to all these kids, you know, in the meantime, while we figure out why this is going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. And, and, you know, do you hear from them or even their parents, maybe like, what are some of those specific issues? Like, are you seeing COVID is a really big one that's kind of inciting things? Or are you seeing, you know, the social media side? Is there anything in particular that's bubbling up? Interesting. I mean, definitely social media plays a role. Um, you know, it's interesting all the kids are on TikTok. TikTok as an example. <laughs> I just said TikTok because I was just eating one. No, but TikTok, every, you know, they're all on it. And what people don't realize, besides for the fact that, yeah, you're scrolling. Yeah, it's a time waster, although a fun one. But the fact is that the algorithms work to show you more of what you're interested in. So when a kid will watch, let's say, a video that has some self-harm or disordered eating or something even if they've just stumbled on it or they've watched it because they're curious, the algorithm will then continue to show them more of that thing. I mean, right. that's how, that's how TikTok is built. So, and, and YouTube is the same, you know, not to the same extent, but you're shown more of what you, you know, if the algorithm thinks you want to see. So, you end up with a situation where late at night, these kids can go down this endless rabbit hole. Um, you know, and, and that's, I'm not saying that's what's responsible for what we're seeing, but it definitely doesn't help. Um, that's for sure. Episode 76, Overcoming Dysfunctional Eating with Amy Johnson. For me, I think something that's really, really important and the first thing that I do with clients is get to the root cause. So kind of, you know, talking on an individual level about stuff that we're talking about today, like thinking about getting to the root cause of why they developed the behaviors that they developed, why they have the thoughts that they have and the beliefs that they have about their body or about food. And just like really unpacking that and kind of putting responsibility where it belongs (laughs) and kind Mm -hmm. of taking it off of them a little bit, you know, like, like it makes sense that you have these behaviors and it's not your fault. And at the same time, like you get to choose what to believe and how to feel moving forward. You know, I mean, it takes work and mm-hmm. it takes practice, but so, so yeah. So getting to the root cause I think is really, really important. And then also doing work around emotional intelligence, because like I was saying, you know, in my case, my disordered eating was really a coping mechanism and you know, essentially, I just had a bunch of really big feelings and like some pain that I just literally didn't know how to handle. And so I had to come up with a way to avoid it and to numb myself out. So that was how I developed my more severe disordered eating. Um, And so working on working on emotional intelligence, working with being able to, first of all, feel safe enough to feel your feelings and feel safe enough to kind of be in your body and feel what your body is experiencing. Um, and then, yeah, and, and being able to, f- to know what you're feeling and have tools to, to, to be with those feelings and to cope with those feelings without having to turn to food or to sort of beating yourself up. Um, so another really important piece is self-compassion and shifting from, 
you know, using self-compassion as a, as a motivator for change, as opposed to like self-discipline or, or self-punishment. Um, and then, and then a really big tool that I use with my clients is intuitive eating. Um, so I, I kind of do some foundational work first in terms of like being able to feel connected to the body first, because intuitive eating is all about, is all about relearning how to listen to your body's cues and, and actually eat when you're hungry and, and stop eating when you're full and eat what you want to eat and know what you want to eat. Um, and kind of like having an internal guide post for that, as opposed to looking to external sources to know what and when to eat. So, so yeah, so intuitive eating is a big part of it, but I kind of do this foundational work to kind of get ready for that. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And with some of the, like replacing the coping mechanism piece and the self-compassion, like are there specific, um, you know, tools that you're using, like is journaling something or meditation? Are there different things like that that you're working on? Yeah, for sure. I think I personally find writing to be a really powerful tool just as, as a way to reflect and connect with yourself um, so right. I definitely, I give my clients a lot of writing prompts and writing exercises. Um, I think too, any kind of practice that can help you feel embodied and feel, be in your body and be okay to be there and feel what's going on. So, um, yoga is definitely a big tool that I use for that. And meditation is a great tool for that. Being able to just sort of being able to sit and let things happen and be okay with it and not react or beat yourself up about it. Um, and then I think also just, just talking and sharing with another person (laughs) is really powerful. So the, the conversations that we have, I think are, are really important. And in terms of self-compassion, I really think that that is just sort of an awareness and a practice. So once you start to, you know, the first step is to really notice how you talk to yourself, like noticing self-talk is something that, that I do with my clients and I've done with myself, you know, constantly, but just first noticing how you're treating yourself and noticing how you talk about yourself, noticing your thoughts and your words and your beliefs. Um, and, and sort of, noticing if it's compassionate and usually it's not (laughs) like Mm -hmm. usually it's pretty harsh and then from there once you've noticed then you're aware of it then you can start to shift it and it just takes it just takes time and practice of constantly and each moment trying your best to be compassionate to yourself trying your best to to talk to yourself in a different way and and I and it just takes it takes time but the you know, the thing that I say to people to encourage them is like, it took you, you know, however many years, like 20 something, 30 something years to get to this point. And you've been talking to yourself in a certain way for a really long time. So, you know, once you become aware of it, that's huge. And then it's going to take some time once you start talking to yourself in a different way for it to really sink in and to really, for you to really feel the change. Episode 77, everything you need to know about allergies with Dr. Karen Kaufman. What, like what symptoms we should be watching for with anaphylaxis? I've heard so much different advice. Um, some of that saying that 
um, you know, one, one symptom can be enough to be showing anaphylaxis. Other times I've heard it should be a multi-system reaction. And, you know, like I said, as a parent, you're just, you're never totally sure what you're looking for. So I just wondered if you could dig in a bit. Absolutely. So when it comes to anaphylaxis, symptoms typically fall within four major categories, or these are the body systems I think that you're referring to. And I try to simplify everything and group them into big groups to help patients and parents remember them easier. So the four groups that I like to think about in the setting of systemic allergic response include the skin, the respiratory tract, the gastrointestinal tract, and the cardiovascular um, system. So as an example, when we're talking about skin symptoms, this could be something like hives or swelling of the skin. It could be generalized redness, itching, or even flushing. So lots of variation of skin symptoms, but all completely limited to the skin. Um, And just to kind of give a quick follow-up on skin before going to the others, I've also heard a lot of kind of misinformation out there in the community. And some people think that it's more severe if you have skin reaction on your face versus skin reaction on your torso or whatever. And that's not true. So skin is skin. So if it's only affecting the skin, that's just one body system. Um, The respiratory symptoms typically look like what we see in the setting of asthma. So this could be um, coughing, repeated coughing, um, chest tightness. It could be difficulty breathing or labored breathing, um, the feeling of being short of breath, or any audible um, aspects of breathing, like what we call wheezing or strider, which are both sounds that are abnormal that are made in the setting of, of respiratory obstruction. The gastrointestinal symptoms that can occur typically are related to swelling somewhere in the GI tract. So often, you know, I always think about the GI tract as anywhere where our food goes from beginning to end. So um, we're talking about swelling inside of the mouth or in the throat. Um, Swelling can also happen in the gut. And when that happens, we're really talking about manifestations of, you know, severe cramping, abdominal pain, profound nausea, Often it's vomiting or it could even be immediate diarrhea. So again, you know, the body is trying to push it out and get it out some way or another. Okay. Um, The cardiovascular symptoms, I think, are the ones that are the scariest, especially for parents with young children, because it's, you know, it's hard to really put your finger on it sometimes. And so, you know, what we're really talking about are symptoms relating to a drop in blood pressure. So people might feel lightheaded or dizzy, or they may feel like they could pass out or lose consciousness. But of course, in a young kid, especially who may not be able to verbalize that, I always tell parents that it's always important to watch, you know, your kid's behavior. And if they go from being kind of a normal, active, you know, child, toddler, or young kid, especially, and all of a sudden become suddenly lethargic immediately following an ingestion, to me, that's concerning. I mean, nobody's going to walk around with a blood pressure cuff on their arm, so we don't really know exactly what's happening. But to me, that would be a very worrisome sign as a parent. I would be on the lookout for that as well. Episode 79, Womb Wisdom, Ancestral Healing, and Meditation with Catherine Hall. Hmm, the power of meditation. It's... I mean, it's something we underestimate still, but I think people are really catching on to it more and more. Um, so in the energy field, just to explain it from this point of view, the energy field has several layers, and one of them is a mental layer. And the mental layer is one of the most outward layers of the energy field. So what this means is 
that thoughts are like energy. And so our thoughts affect then the inner layers of the energy field, which are the emotions and the body. So if you think of a thought, you get, you know, triggered on social media or somebody sends you a text message that is very triggering, then it is immediately, you know, with that trigger, that trigger is being felt in the body as an emotion, an energy in motion. It's often bringing up something repressed from the past. And then that's felt in the physical body. And if left untended to, um, like a garden that hasn't been weeded, you know, those things will, will infiltrate our body, infiltrate our mind, and we'll become very anxious um, because we won't have the space. So from a physical perspective, we need to meditate or weed the garden, so to speak. So we are always making space for those things to bloom within us. Um, that's from a physical standpoint. And because the mind has such an impact on those emotions and on the body itself. So it's kind of like we can't really afford not to meditate. <laughs> it's, you know, at some point on our journey, those of us that are really seeking to heal ourselves um, and become more sovereign in our health, we always somehow find meditation because it's a, it's a natural stepping stone to being well, like fully and completely. Episode 80, Recovering from Life Stressors with Dr. Janine Krauss. Yeah, so, you know, one of the number one things, because with COVID, a lot of the shutdowns, a lot of folks are working from home, and it's a new dynamic because we're like, okay, so now I don't leave. The, the brain doesn't have that separation between home and work. So right. I was working a lot and, and still am with routines and getting outside of the house, getting out in the morning for first morning light, even if it's raining, just getting out there, sit on the porch, you know, get your raincoat on five minutes, something to like tell the body like, hey, it's morning, we're going to get out of this, this box that we live in. And we're just gonna just connect a little with nature. And then taking breaks during the day and like really hammering on yourself to take the break. Because if you don't escape from the work situation, it just keeps you know, the stressors keep compounding and your brain just doesn't get a moment to chill. Then the next thing was also a, an evening wind down routine to be able to tell your body like, hey, work's over. We're going to separate from this place. And you go outside. If you can get your feet in the grass, your feet in the sand, something to kind of ground you, stick your feet in some water. If you live nearby a stream or lake or sound like I do here in the Pacific Northwest, but something of that nature so that you can have that like hard stop on work so that your brain knew the difference. And then a lot of the other tips that I had is really working with yourself on what's going on within the home and structure and looking at stress triggers. And one of the big things that I found for a lot of people and, and females in particular with COVID was a lot of stress eating and a lot of like taking laps through the kitchen and eating, just boredom eating. And so we had to work a lot on what was being brought into the house. What were you shopping for? But also taking a really hard look at once again, going back to those stress triggers, journaling, and becoming very aware of what happens to your brain when, when, and, and what thought processes you have when you're triggered by a certain stressor. So this year, I think was like the, or year and a half was like the year of awareness for folks in, in my office. And my tips really 
kind of went down to get to know yourself better, know where you self-sabotage, know where you're a rock star, and, and let's dial that in. That's kind of like my big thing. Thank you to all of the amazing guests that were part of these episodes. Honestly, I had so much fun going through these first eight months of 2021 and picking the clips, and it was just a wonderful reminder of all of the knowledge and information that has been shared by these wonderful guests throughout the year. And also, thank you to you for listening. And if you're a new listener, maybe this will uh, interest you in exploring some of the past episodes that you haven't listened to yet and you can um, start to work through and and find those from this best of. I hope that everybody has had a great holiday season and continues to as we move into the new year. Have you read my novel Pendulum by S.E. German yet? If not, what are you waiting for? And if you have, I would love to hear from you. If you don't know about Pendulum, it's a heartwarming story about a young boy who starts to experience neuropsychiatric symptoms after an infection. We follow the boy as he goes through many regular, real middle grade issues like moving, having a crush, playing sports, also while experiencing neuropsychiatric symptoms like anxiety, OCD, tics, panic attacks, and more. If you're interested in checking out Pendulum by S.E. German, it is available through Amazon Worldwide, where you can even see a preview of the book, or you can listen to chapter one, which is on episode 64 of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. I hope you enjoy the novel, and thanks for your support. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi, K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.